Psalm, uh, Psalm number 29, just 11 verses here. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of, of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice, uh, the voice of the Lord divideth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The, uh, the Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. We're not officially there, but we're headed towards springtime here in Texas. And uh, it, honestly, my favorite season is fall. I like fall. Uh, where it's a little bit cool and the, the leaves and stuff. And uh, But the most beautiful time of the year around here in Texas is springtime. There's just There's no competition on that. Uh, the grass, uh, it's actually green out there, and it, it, it's just beautiful. I love the, the wildflowers when they get to come out, and we were joking a little bit about that yesterday. Mom found some blue bonnets, and uh, I, I can't wait to have them you know, on our little hill out here. But the, uh, the, the Indian paintbrushes and all these, I, I love to see those come up. There's only two drawbacks to springtime in Texas. First is pollen. And it has nothing to do with my message. I just want to be on record as against it, okay? Second is storm season. It's severe weather season. We're just weeks away from the return of that, that enhanced risk of springtime thunderstorms. And I'm fascinated by storms. I, I, I think um, growing up watching old Harold Taft, I think that had an influence on me and I always wanted to be a weatherman. And, and I, by the way, I don't know how many people I've talked to that said the same thing, that watched Harold Taft and wanted to be a weatherman. But I want to be a weatherman like Harold Taft. Anyway, um, I'm fascinated. A couple years ago, I even did uh, the National Weather Service has like a storm spotter training deal. You know, uh, they teach you how to like really report like wind damage and stuff. I, I, I went through the little uh, webinar thing, and uh, every year I'm going to say, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do that again. It's, it's, it's pretty neat. It's fascinating stuff. I, I like to watch all the crazy videos online of the storms and things hitting, just the crazy things that weather does. Um, I, have a, I have an app on my phone where I can pull up and, and get the raw data from the, uh, from the uh, radars and, and go in and do all this technical stuff. I have no clue what it means, but I like to act like I do and uh, you know the wind direction and all this kind of stuff it's it's fun to get into but storms do make me nervous i'm not going to say i'm afraid of them but i do have a healthy respect for them they have a way of reminding you that we humans are not in control we don't have mighty mountains around us here that to remind us just to kind of how small we are but when those towering thunderstorms come in, you, you get to feeling pretty small and insignificant. I love to just sit there and watch those clouds as they billow up and those, those, those thunderheads build up into the sky and 
uh, see the lightning dance out across there and, and you hear the thunder boom in the distance. I don't, I don't necessarily care to be in it, but I like to watch it out there on the horizon where, you know, it's kind of safe. It's fun to just sit out there and watch that lightning just dance across the sky. It's, 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 it's amazing to watch. Um, I like the rain, but the storms, I just soon be somewhere else. It's funny, growing up around here, <clears throat> it's so funny. There's some places, as soon as I hear, all I think about is thunderstorms. Every time I hear about Erath or Palo Pinta County, all I think about is that's where all the tornadoes are. I don't know if it's true or not, but it just seems like that's where all the tornado warnings always are in some of these counties. I don't know why. Just I have that connection in my brain. Our text this morning is a, is a psalm that David wrote that's inspired by storms. Uh, we don't know when he wrote it. Uh, Reese's Chronological Bible says it was very late in his reign in the last few years. There's a part of me wouldn't be surprised if he wrote this as a shepherd boy. Because uh, you can just picture him sitting there on the hillside and watching as these clouds billow in and uh, just marveling at nature around it. But he didn't just observe the natural world and marvel at, at our world. He saw it as an expression of the glory of God. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. You can just imagine the times David watched as these storm clouds would come rolling in. The days when he's a shepherd, the days when he's a soldier out on campaign. I can still see him as an old man out there on his palace going out on the porch and sitting there and watching the clouds roll in. You know, I can, I can just picture him uh, watching this all through his life. And he draws on that experience as the inspiration for this psalm. It's, it's some of the most moving and powerful Hebrew poetry that you will find. Uh, uh, you can just, as you read this, you can kind of get that, that smell. There's a term for that. It's called petrichor, okay? You didn't know that, but that smell of rain. Uh, they have a term for it. And you smell the rain coming in, and uh, you, you can hear the thunder blast. You can feel the raindrops as they begin to hit. But he's not just writing about a storm or a rain moving in. He's using the picture of the coming storm to describe the power of God. And here's my right turn here. I hope you can follow me on. I think he's talking about the day of judgment right here. And we'll get to this. The fury of a thunderstorm or a hurricane is nothing compared to the might of an almighty God. How can we survive the coming storm, the fury of God's wrath? Friends, God's not abandoned this world to evil. He didn't, Jesus didn't come, die, rise again, go back to heaven and say, okay, I'm done. No, He's coming back. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Because He's coming in judgment. Matthew 24, verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There's no escaping the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you die, you stand before Him. If you're alive when He returns, you will stand before Him. There is, though, a way of escape in that. You can be ready to meet him. And by the way, there's a lot of this psalm I think harkens back to Psalm number two. 
Psalm 2, verse 12, put it this way, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You better come to Christ, accept him now. Brings me to my first point, and this is the first two verses of this psalm. Here we see the storms alert. The storms alert. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29 focuses more on, uh, on the fury of, of Christ's return upon his enemies. It's, it's a warning to be ready. It's a warning to get ready. Just like the, you know, your, the radio alerts, the TV alerts, the alerts on your phone that go off, you know, severe weather alert. Or if you have the weather bug app, it's just like they even have their own. Like the, the government ones aren't enough. They'll come on there like, rain starting in 15 minutes. All these different alerts and things that can, nobody else uses weather bug besides me. They, they give you extra alerts on there. I got set where lightning's within 10 miles, it pops up, you know. I, I told you, I'm a, I'm a geek on this kind of stuff. But it'll come up, take shelter, you know, the bad weather's coming in. Well, here is a warning to all people all over the world to get ready. Christ is coming. Are you ready? You don't have to be caught unawares. I thought of Matthew 25, the parable of the the ten virgins there. There's a wedding coming. They know it's coming. Five of them are prepared with the oil for their lamps. The other five, they're not prepared. And when it comes, they are ashamed. Matthew 25, 13 Wrapping up that, Christ said, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We see the warning in the first two verses of this psalm. It is addressed to, it says, the mighty, you mighty here. And by the way, this is a very curious little Hebrew. I'm going to go to some Hebrew stuff on this. This is a very curious little Hebrew phrase, little idiom thing here. It literally means the sons of the mighty. Or uh, some people even say that it means the sons of God. Uh, but some say it's angels. I don't think that's the case here. I think this is, uh, I think this is talking about people. Part of it is because this, this psalm is from earth looking up. The perspective's wrong for, for angels. Second, uh, because in verse number two, it talks about worshiping the beauty of holiness. I think that's talking about the temple. That's kind of a poetic phrase meaning the holy of holies. And so I think this is talking about mankind here. I believe these mighty ones are humans lifted up in pride and rebellion against God. Just like Psalm number 2. Psalm 2 verse 1 and following says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We have two choices. We can bow the knee before Christ now, confessing our sins, accepting his saving grace, or we can bow the knee before Christ at the judgment when it's too late, acknowledging our eternal fate. You better give him the glory now. That's the message of the first two. By the way, he deserves it because it's the glory that's due unto his name. Worship him now on his terms. Again there, I'll point out that phrase, beauty of holiness. I think it describes a holy of holies in the temple where the ark was, where the presence of God 
was. I don't have time to get into that. Psalm 96, though, verses 8 and 9 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. It's talking about going into the tabernacle or temple there. By the way, what's what's importance of this? This means you're coming to God on His terms. He set the terms. That's the whole message of the tabernacle. God says, if you want to come to me, here's how you do it. He's provided a way of salvation, a way for us to commune with Him. But you have to go through, by the way, you have to go through the blood of the Lamb. That's the number one message that we find in those pictures. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be blood. Thank God Christ paid that for us so we can have access to God. The second thing I want us to see here, and this is the biggest section here in the middle, is is the storm's action. The storm's action. I'm not going to read these for the sake of time, but verses 3 through 9, just amazing. There's so many wonderful things we could get into in these seven verses. I know I don't have time to do it justice this morning. I'm already hurrying to get all this in without spending a lot of time on this. I'm going to point out a few things, though, to you. You can note the use of the voice of the Lord, that little phrase. Um, It's used seven times in this. And um, it's the same voice, by the way, think about this. This is the same voice that said, let there be light, and spoke the world into place. It's an expression of God's power and his personality. And by the way, it's basically revelation, God revealing himself to us through action and truth. Um, it's mentioned seven times. That's, a, that's important. When something pops up seven times, you take note of it in Scripture. That's a special number a number of perfection. God's trying to communicate something there. You can marvel at the power of God's voice. You know, the mighty cedar trees of Lebanon are splintering. The land is trembling at the sound of his voice. You can note God's power revealed through the natural world. We'll see how big God is. We still do that. You look at a sunset. You look at a storm. You look at a volcano and you just marvel at the grandeur and the power of God through his creation. You can note the beautiful poetic expressions. Uh, There's some kind of fun, almost fanciful ones. Verse number six, the mighty cedars are skipping around like a young calf. Think of these big giant trees like those big redwood trees up in uh, California, the, the, the West Coast. And just picture those things, you don't picture them moving. But picture them just jumping around, playing around like a little baby calf out there, you know, frisky in the morning. Uh, It's just a fun image. By the way, and I'll address this one because this is one of those things with the King James. I know the word unicorns used here. And uh, an honest scholar, by the way, will tell you we have no clue what this animal is. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, be honest here. The Jews translated the the Hebrew word re'im that's used here. The, the Hebrew uh, that translated it into Greek in what's called the Septuagint translation about a century before Christ, they use the Greek word monoceros, which means mono meaning one, ceres meaning horn, one horn. So the ancient Jews a century before Christ tied this to something that's one horned. Um, my best guess on this, it's either a rhinoceros 
uh, that's that's one take, or it's a there's an extinct type of wild cattle called an oryx that kind of have uh, kind of have long horns, and the top of their head, the way the horns are, it almost looks like it's one piece. It doesn't look like two things. It almost looks like they're connected on top. If you go look at their skeletons and stuff, and there's probably good cases. By the way, you can't be sure, but it doesn't matter. You can still see the picture. You ever seen a little baby horse jump around? You ever seen a little baby calf jump around? You ever seen a little baby puppy? Dry? You, you can just get the picture of this young little animal just dancing around and prancing around, and you, you get the picture. So it doesn't even really matter if we don't know the exact species on this. Anyway, I was just going to trace that down because that's a very fun thing if you want to get in and study that. I do uh, want to point out something here that's easy to miss. You can track the movement of this storm. This is neat. In verse number three, it's upon the waters. That's talking about the Mediterranean Sea. That's where the storm is developing. You can look out over the, out of, over the sea and see the clouds as they're beginning to build up. And you can see the lightning and the thunder as it's moving in to shore. In verse five, it's breaking the cedars of Lebanon. That's up north of Israel. So this comes up from the, uh, I'm, doing this, I'm doing this backwards for you. It's up north. And it's coming in off the sea, down into Lebanon, and then it's going to come south through the land of Israel. And then in verse 7, it shakes the wilderness of Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea. You might remember that town name. This is the far southern part of Judea. Uh, so it goes north to south as you go through here. It, it basically moves from a north or northwest to south or southwest, if you want to get really technical on this. But it sweeps through the entire land of Israel. Imagine this storm sweeping through like a hurricane. In its wake is devastation. You just look at these words, thundering, breaking. Uh, I think the, it talks about dividing the flames. I think that's talking about lightning there. Uh, shaking, it's fury, it's a picture of judgment. Who can stand under the might of an almighty God? Well, somebody does, because in verse number 9, you see it's not all destruction. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. First thing you see, the animals. Talking about deer here. Uh, hind's an old word for a female deer. Uh, doe, a deer, a female deer. Okay, hind, a deer. Anyway, so, so uh, but it's talking about, anybody ever mess with cattle and stuff? You know what, when the storm comes in, you know what sometimes happens? Human babies too. Sometimes that comes in and, and it just, the pressure changes and stuff. It'll make the little babies want to come out. It, it's just, that's, that's fact. We know that. Um, second, the forest is purged there. It's discovered. It, uh, the, the, the leaves are blown down. The branches, it, basically it's a purging that goes on. It helps build room for new life. Uh, then third, the people there gather and they're marveling. Oh my goodness. By the way, I like this. They're not really talking about how big the storm was. They're talking about how big the God is behind the storm. They're glorying the God of the storm. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. So there's three positive things that come out of this in verse number 9. So as we move on to the final verses of this psalm, I want you to remember that God is in the storm of destruction. The storm covers the whole land. And in spite of its fury, there's still some good that comes from the storm. Because the third thing I want us to see here, and I'm going to tie this all together here after this, the storm's aftermath. The storm's aftermath in verses 10 and 11. 
The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The storm is past. The sun's shining again. The birds are singing. Life's made new after the fury of the storm. Now, I'm going to point out something here to you. This is something that is lost in translation. I don't know. Even, even if you were to translate this and keep be consistent, you would still probably not catch this. But the word for flood in verse number 10, the word there is a very rare Hebrew word. It's, um, I'm gonna, I hate pronouncing Hebrew. The Texas tongue in Hebrew and Greek just does not mix, okay? I can't even pronounce, I can't pronounce English words, right? See, I still stumble. But anyway, I'm going to do my best. Mabul, I think this, Mabul. And it means a flood or a deluge. But here's the thing. This word is only used 13 times in the Scripture. This is the only one in the book of Psalms. The other 12 are in the book of Genesis. You think of a big flood in the book of Genesis? This word is only used here, and the other 12 times are in the book of Genesis, everyone talking about Noah's flood, the global flood. By the way, I do believe in a global flood. I believe that God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. I believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a fish or whatever. I don't know the species. I'd like to think it was a largemouth bass, personally. I believe that Christ was God who came to this earth. He died and rose again for our salvation. To deny any of these, the multitude of other supernatural, miraculous events, uh, recording the Bible is to reject God's word. We cannot pick and choose. You've you got to believe it all. I know some of this stuff's controversial. Say, so, well, modern science. Well, modern scientists are idiots. There was a global flood. By the way, there's plenty, plenty of proof of that. Anyway, this connection back to the Genesis flood tells me that the scope of this psalm is far more than just a spring thunderstorm moving in. I think he's trying, that that word is being used on purpose. This is catastrophic judgment. This is world-altering that that we're talking about. Um, I want you to note here, um, we'll talk about that in just a minute, but let's talk about what this is. Uh, Note here what David highlights. First, David highlights that God's in control of it. He sitteth upon the flood. Second, that God is king forever. Third, that God sustains his people, carrying them through the earth-shattering judgment. He says he gives strength to his people. And fourth, that he brings peace and glory to his people after the storm. And here, I want you to try to bear with me. I'm going to try to connect some dots on this, and I hope I can do this justice. I've told you this psalm, I think, is much more than just a nice little pretty psalm describing a thunderstorm moving in. I think David is using an object lesson here. There's something he's talking about that he's comparing to a storm. And you can call me crazy. I am. I'll admit that. But I think our understanding of this psalm really shifts on that one word, that Hebrew word that connects this back to the the Genesis flood. Is there coming a day of judgment on this earth that alters our world comparably to the flood? where everything is different. 
where the enemies of God are wiped out. Yes, there is. I believe, and as I was studying this out, I believe if you listen closely to this psalm, you can hear the hoofbeats of Armageddon in the background. It is then, the end of the tribulation period, that Satan and the Antichrist have gathered their armies for a final stand against God and God's people. They're going to sweep through and attack Israel. And I don't have time to get into all these verses. If you want the information, I'll print you out some notes I've done on this before. But they sweep down through Israel. Jerusalem falls. The remnant of Israel, they're pushed southeast to the area around Basra. The Jews finally here in their moment of desperation, they turn to Christ. There's a revival that takes place here. Then, and I've already read this verse, but it's at this moment, Matthew 24, 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's more than just storm clouds, by the way. Those clouds, that's, I think that's the Shekinah glory. It's the glory of God there. Revelation 19.15 Out of his mouth goeth a, strong, uh, goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. We usually focus on, well, that's God's word. But is that not also his voice? What was highlighted in here? The voice of God. What does he fight with? His word. You study out in Revelation 14, 20 and other places, but that battle that takes place here is really not a battle, it's a rout. When Christ returns, his enemies are defeated. It runs the entire length of Israel. The measurements given are about 180 miles, which is about the distance from the top of Israel to the bottom of Israel, from the Valley of Megiddo through Jerusalem down to Basra. Just like this storm in this psalm sweeps through the entire land. What are the results of this battle? The old world and those that rejected God are wiped out. Just like the flood. Christ establishes his millennial kingdom. He shall rule and reign forever and ever just like how God is enthroned in verse number 10. His people are blessed and honored. The Jews who inhabit the kingdom, the believers who help rule it just like in verse 11. So, when you read this, I think this is more than just the power of God on display. I think it's more than just comparing God to a mighty thunderstorm or a hurricane. I think behind all this, David is trying to tell us, trying to warn, there's a day coming when God's going to sweep through. You better be ready. You better be ready. You better be ready, because he is coming. I'm going to wrap this up. I, I made a lot better time on this than I expected. I actually, there's nine pages. That usually takes me a little longer. Just a couple of quick things. Olin and uh, I guess Annette, we're going to get you in on this. i got two questions I want to ask you to wrap this up. First off, I want to say, how great is our God? His majesty, His power. It's above any earthly comparison. When you think of the most powerful forces here on earth, you think of a, of a hurricane, you think of a, a tornado, you think of a, a volcano, you think of these mighty, mighty uh, natural events. 
But God is so much greater, so much greater than that. His power, by the way, is even in display in how he moves the events. He moves the affairs of men like a chessboard for his will. And you still see that on display in the future. His great power is on display because his will will be done. He will gain the victory. He will establish the kingdom. Christ will be glorified. Israel will be restored. The day is coming. Christ is coming back. If anything, this psalm ought to make us marvel at the greatness of our God. Just like we look up at that big towering thunderstorm, that thunderhead way in the high, boy, I, I feel about that small looking up at that. You hear that thunder as it booms, and you think, my goodness, I, I, I can't be that loud. It, it, it just it makes you feel like a little ant crawling around on this earth. When you look up at the greatness of God, you ought to feel about that small too. We're an ins- insignificant little speck on one rock floating around in space. Yet God loved us. Yet God wants to have a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing to think about how great our God is? The second question, are you ready for Christ to return? He came the first time to save our souls. He came to reveal the Father to us. He came to pay the price for our sins. But He's not done yet. He's coming back. And those that stand against him, they better be ready. He's coming back in fury. And no one will stand in his way. Don't wait too long. Don't wait too long to be ready. He's provided a way of escape. By the way, talking about the flood, we talk about how that just catastrophic wiped out this world that was before. But some survived. God looked down and said, Noah, you and your family, I I see faith in you. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Build you a boat. What's that a picture of? That's a picture of salvation. That through the fury, through the judgment that would purge this world, some were brought safe through, through their faith in God. They trusted God. They built the boat. They got on it. It's such a beautiful, wonderful picture, but it's a wonderful picture of our salvation. I'm convinced that before Armageddon and tribulation, that Christ returns as a thief in the night to rapture out those who trust in him. I I believe wholeheartedly in the, the idea of the rapture, that he's coming back to take his own out before the judgments begin. No one has to endure the tribulation period. Don't listen to some of these TV preachers that are trying to sell you supplies and get you ready. <laughs> the, the preppers uh, don't 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 get. Uh, I've heard Jim Baker. I think he's getting gotten back into that. Don't don't buy into that. You don't need a fifty-five gallon barrel of pancake mix. Okay, uh, you don't have to go through this. By the way, no one has to endure Armageddon. We hear, oh, it's terrible. Oh, Armageddon. You want to you want to get out Armageddon free card? He offers it to us. By the way, even greater than that, no one has to endure hell for eternity. Everything else pales in comparison to that one. All the judgment of God, Christ bore it all for us. 
He offers us that safety. He offers us salvation. Save us. Carry us through so we don't have to taste that. We don't have to experience that. You need to come to him now. If you do not know Christ, come to him now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. If there's anything this world is telling us right now is it's getting dark. I think the time of Christ's coming is close. How close? I don't know. I'm not crazy. I'm not going to give you a date. But uh, you read the news every day. It's getting darker. It's getting worse. It's ramping up. Uh, We're living in days like never before. I think it's getting ready. So you better be ready. And by the way, a second to that, believers, we need to get as many people this message of hope to them before it's too late. Time's running out. Night's drawing on. We have to get the work done before it's too late. The challenge to us is the storm clouds are gathering on the horizon. We know what's coming. Let's be ready. Let's be ready. Let's get others ready for the coming storm. What number there, Owen? 318 in the, the Baptist hymnal for invitation hymn. You'll stand. We'll have just a short time of invitation, number 318. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a different kind of message here going through Psalms and one that uh, is a digging into this psalm and seeing these, these connections. There's such a depth here that is maybe, I don't know, from the surface, it just there's so much more to this psalm than meets the eye. And Lord, as we, we look at and know what is coming. You, you've told us through your grace, through your goodness, you, you've told us what's coming. You've told us how to prepare. You've made a way to prepare. God, let us not neglect that responsibility that we have to get ourselves ready, to get our families ready, to reach as many folks as we can. Lord, as I look out there, it's getting dark. It's coming. All these events are coming. Let us be ready. Let us strive even harder because the days are growing short. Lord, challenge us, I pray, with this message to know the storm's coming. Let us be ready for it. Let us know that there is a way of escape and safety through it. There's joy on the other side for those that trust in you. Speak to us now in this invitation time, I pray in thy holy name.